right, yes, as Pastor Dan mentioned, Malachi, <clears throat> not only chapter 3, chapter 4 as well. We're going to do it. We can do it. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, thank you for being here tonight. Really excited about that baptism. Next week, I was telling Dan during uh, COVID, I saw pictures of priests with um, squirt guns, and that's how they were baptizing the babies. They were standing like six feet away. And they were just a little squirt gun action. I don't know. The Lord looks at the heart, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, 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 serious, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, not qualified. <laughs> they have a hard time giving me a microphone, so the squirt gun is out of the question. Thanks again for being here tonight. Very excited just to share what... Uh, feel like the Lord has put on my heart this evening, but tonight we will finish the book of Malachi. Going to be looking at chapters three and four to finish out the series. And I uh, just wanted to say it's been a huge honor for me to go through this with you guys. I have learned so much and uh, just felt really blessed. So um, thank you for just letting me share the last uh, couple of weeks and thank you for uh, saving all of your tomatoes for tonight. Appreciate it. <laughs> No, but man, just excited to share this last bit with you guys. So we'll, we'll hop right into it here, but let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we just give you all the glory tonight. And I pray as, uh, as Dan was sharing that we would get a greater sensitivity to your voice. Man, how we need that. We need that so bad today, Lord. I know just uh, for me, many times I uh, am prone to wander, prone to listen to a voice that isn't yours. So Lord, I, I just I just pray against that. And let us be those that just tune into your voice. And that's what we want to do tonight, Lord. As we look at your word, as we uh, study a lot of uh, scripture, a lot of text, we just ask that you would speak to us, Lord. That's why we come here tonight. We just, we always gather on these Wednesday nights looking forward to hearing from you for uh, not only comfort, but if there's a way, a way that we've gotten off track or whatever, God, just bring us uh, gently back on course, I pray. Um, thankful, Lord. We're just so thankful for your grace, for your great love towards us. And again, speak tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yes, yeah, so we're going to finish it up tonight. The book of Malachi, uh, up until this point, as you guys have listened and as we've studied it together, it's filled with a lot of stern warnings. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, warnings to priests and to the people of Israel, but they're definitely warnings that we need uh, to pay attention to. One of those, you know, last week we had talked about these foreign marriages that the priests were involved in. They had really corrupted uh, a holy institution, God's holy institution, which he loves, right? So really a shame. This beautiful thing that God had designed, the priests were really just messing it up. They were divorcing their wives and marrying these foreign women, we specifically looked at uh, the example of the Moabites. The Israelites were marrying these Moabites, these people that God said, hey, I don't want you marrying them. And it wasn't an ethnicity thing. It wasn't a race thing. It was simply that God told these people, hey, don't marry foreign people because you'll end up worshiping their gods. You'll end up worshiping foreign gods and bowing down to these foreign idols. I've seen it happen before, right? And we just had talked about that parallel that's found in that concept that we too man, we can be drawn away. We can get distracted and worship uh, foreign things, so to speak. You know, I'm sure these Moabites to the Israelite guys, uh, again, we just talked about how they were probably curious of them and they were intrigued by them and they uh, 
were just attracted to them and they went off and ended up marrying them. And I thought that concept is, is described really well in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where we read it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <laughs> Gets us off track, draws us away. They just draw us away from the Lord. That's the enemy's playbook, right? Those three things. So that was happening to the priests and the people of Israel here in the book of Malachi back in chapter 2. But I just wanted to reemphasize that before we start tonight because it's so important. There's just an awareness that we have to have as children of God, that there are uh, foreign things, so to speak, that God just doesn't want us partaking in. He doesn't want us to go there. There's stuff he doesn't want me and you involved in. And it's primarily because it will draw us away from him. It's not because he's a big meanie, right? (laughs) There's alleys, there's buildings that uh, we shouldn't go in as Christians, right? That's just the, the truth of it. You know, we had even looked at King Solomon, right? The wisest man who ever lived. And we'll pull it up here on the screen. First Kings chapter 11, verse four. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. Man, what a contrast. David had this heart that just longed after God. He wanted to please God. Said he, had, he was a man who was after God's own heart. But for Solomon, his wives turned his heart after other gods. I was just thinking, and pray that you have married somebody or that you do marry somebody who turns your heart towards God, right? Not someone who turns uh, away from him, right? <laughs> but last week, again, just looking at how marriage, marriages, our marriages can be just a testament to others and an act of worship unto the Lord. But I wanted to say that some people get mixed up about this concept You know, they can be kind of like those Israelite guys who were intrigued by the Moabite women, and they're intrigued by these foreign women, and they think, well, you know, I I am curious of that stuff, and is it so bad? You know, if we go and hang out with the Moabite ladies, is it so bad? If we uh, entertain worshiping another idol, isn't God just, you know, withholding a little bit of uh, fun from us? (laughs) You know, they just might think that God doesn't want us doing that stuff because he's withholding some sort of joy. And that's actually the same lie that Satan used against Adam and Eve in the garden. You guys remember that? <laughs> he said, God knows that, you know, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want that. That was the lie. He's holding out on you, right? And that's the greatest lie ever told, that God's holding out on you, that he's withholding joy from you. But the truth is, I believe he's just protecting you and me, right? He's protecting us. He's holding our hand saying, hey, sorry, I don't want you running in the street. (laughs) I do it all the time with my daughter. Hey, no running in the parking lot, grab her hand. That's what God does with us too. And it's not that he's he's a big jerk and he's no fun. It's just the fact that that stuff, he knows it'll draw us away from him. And I think he just despises those things that draw us away from him. He wants to have a relationship with us it's not that he doesn't want us to have joy or have fun and have fulfillment. And I, I wanted just to mention this because it's actually something that really bothers me, this mentality that people have towards the Lord, that they think that having a relationship with God means that my fun is over, no more fun. That's what people think. And I, I hear that a lot. It's a reason why, uh, you know, I've even been deceived by that same lie before. And they think that having a relationship with God means that you have to become like this stoic, dusty, religious person. Like the end goal is to look like a statue or something like that. That's not true. That is a total uh, 100% lie. 
And if you think that having a relationship with God is like drudgery or it's no fun, well, back up a second. Follow me on this thought. He literally invented fun. He, in, he is the creator. He made your brain, okay? Made these infinitely complex bodies. He wired us for pleasure. He's the author of sex and romance, right? He created mountains and rivers and trees and the ocean. So, I mean, just, he invented, okay, here's one. He invented your imagination. Whoa. Think about that one for a second. But don't think about it too long. It'll bake your biscuit, okay? Seriously. So to say he's withholding joy, that's just, it's a lie. It's a total and complete lie from the enemy. But the problem is, humans, we've messed it up. We twisted it and we turned it into religion. That's what the Pharisees were doing too. Then we see that in Jesus's day. But dude, people are done with religion. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. I'm done. I'd, people are done with religion. We don't want it anymore, right? It's a total bummer, and it's what the Pharisees were actually selling in Jesus' day, right? They were, uh, well, people just despised the Pharisees because they made you feel about that big. <laughs> Whenever you're around them, it was the holier-than-thou attitude. Um, they just made you feel, I think, simply like, they, like you were looked down upon. I think that's what it was like being next to a Pharisee. I think that's happening today as well. I really do. I think that the church, you know, sometimes we can just make people feel bad, like they're not religious enough. And then people, their reaction is, well, I tried religion and yeah, it made me feel about this big. <laughs> so, and we really can't blame them for that. You know, we really can't blame them for feeling that way if that's our presentation to them. But listen to this. The Bible says in Psalm uh, chapter 34, verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a, a concept I, I learned from my uh, father-in-law. I just love the way that he explained it, but he always put it like this. So taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a fact, okay? Once you've tasted of the Lord, man, you realize that he's good. So if somebody says, yeah, I tried the whole church thing, uh, tried the whole religion thing, and yeah, it was a total bummer. I was really bummed out by it. Hey, I don't blame you. You might have tried religion, but you have not tried Jesus. Don't get it twisted. You have not tried a personal relationship with Jesus because if you would have, you would say as well, taste and dude, I tasted and it was good. That's the message we should be saying to people. The Lord is good. Because once you experience that goodness, man, you can't go back. Can't go back to how you were in the world. The priests and the people here in Malachi's day, I believe they appeared very religious to people. Very religious, but God wasn't happy with it. Remember, we're talking about real worship tonight. That has kind of been our theme through the entire book is real worship. It's what God wants, right? Done with religion. He doesn't want that anymore. He wants our heart. He wants the real thing. He doesn't want the uh, Splenda, so to speak. <laughs> he wants the sugar. But tonight we're going to look at that again, just ways that we can really worship the Lord, just offer unto the Lord that real worship. So we're going to get into it right now. Very interesting. At the end of Malachi chapter 2, uh, the people had asked this question, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? The people of Israel, we read, are asking this question, and the Lord is actually wearied by the question. He, he said, I, I've grown weary of your words. But now we're about to receive an answer to that. Where is the God of justice? Let's look at it together. It's Malachi chapter 3. Uh, we're going to pull up verse 1 here. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way of before me. Hold on, take a pause right there really quick. 
underline it. Who is the Lord talking about here? Who is the messenger who would prepare the way for the Lord? I'm sure you guys have an idea. Uh, the messenger reference there, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And he was a weird dude, right? John the Baptist, you agree? <laughs> Uh, I like to say he was a unique person with a unique ministry. (laughs) But he did really have a unique ministry. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He actually described this in John chapter 1. And look with me. We'll pull it up here on the screen too. John chapter 1, look with me at verse 22. This is the Pharisees. They ask him, and they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So that was John's job description right there. Now the verse that John was referencing there was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, again, you don't have to turn there, we'll throw it up on the screen, but this is Isaiah chapter 40, look at verses three through five. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted in every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Again, John's whole mission here is summed up. This is, again, his job description. He's saying the whole reason I got put on this earth, this is what I was born for. I'm to prepare the way for the Lord. I'm supposed to make those crooked places, I'm supposed to make them straight, and those rough places, I'm supposed to smooth them out. And he did. He was baptizing people and he was preaching repentance. You remember that? He was saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. You guys need to get baptized. You need to repent. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That was his ministry. Jesus is coming soon. And I want to talk about that for a second because when they asked John, who are you? He responds with a scripture. He didn't say, oh, I'm John. So, you know, people ask me who I am. I say, uh, I'm uh, Jonah and my dad is so-and-so and my dad's dad is so-and-so, right? Well, I want to encourage you tonight with this thought really quick, just looking at John's ministry. John was defined by the word of God. That's what he chose to do. He sought the scriptures and that's where he found his God-given mission. Prepare the way for the Lord, right? And I just wanted to ask you, you know, can we say the same thing about us? Are we defined by the word of God? Do you, right now, do you feel like you have a God-given mission that God has given you or uh, pressed on your heart personally? And is that found in the word? Does your life's work come from the Bible? And I just want to encourage you, you know, the Bible, we read that it will never fade away. In that same chapter in Isaiah chapter 40, you guys know the verse, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God don't, (laughs) right? Never fade away. When our mission comes from the Lord, when it comes from the Bible, it's immovable. Never fade away. When it's a God-given, Jesus-given mission, man, I can put my whole life towards it. I can push all my chips in. No problem, no hesitation. But I just wanted to encourage you to be defined. Just do that personal inventory. Am I defined by the word of God? And here's the thing. Don't settle for an identity based on your hobbies because that's what we do, right? Uh, So-and-so the fisherman, so-and-so, the carpenter, right? Don't settle for an identity that's based on your hobbies. Just don't settle for one that's based on anything other than God's word. I think that's the encouragement for us tonight. Let your identity come from the word. 
You know, when people ask us who we are, there are already, I mean, as Christians, there are some that are existing for you already, man. We sang some of them tonight. Um, I'm a child of God, right? Royal priesthood. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's who you and me are. Jesus said that we're the light of the world, right? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. There are many throughout the word. Let your identity come from there, amen. All right, well, in that verse two, I know we're only on the first half of verse one there, but we also get some insight into John's mission. Uh, And that was my, this is my for real first point here. Prepare for the Lord right now, me and you. I, I believe that John's mission is partially our mission as well because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But in the meantime, we are supposed to be preparing, I believe. Any crooked paths in my life, any crookedness, man, I need to straighten that out. Need to straighten that out. Any uh, rough patches? Got any rough patches in your life? Any rough, uh, rough patches in your, maybe in your character? I don't know. Those need to be smoothed. Sometimes it requires like the belt sander to smooth it out, but supposed to be preparing, smoothing out the rough patches. Again, we just don't know when Jesus is going to come back the second time around. So let's be faithful. Let's prepare like John did. He prepared the way for the Lord. Prepare for the Lord. Yeah, I always think of it like, so it's Wednesday night right now. If I, and if I know that Jesus is coming over for dinner Friday at 5, am I going to wait till 4.30 p.m. on Friday night to start getting ready? No way. If I know Jesus is coming to my house for dinner this Friday at 5, I mean, we are cleaning every nook and cranny in that house, you know. We are getting her done. No food for the kids for two days. No crumbs, you know what I'm saying? That's how clean the house is going to (laughs) be. Jesus is coming back soon. Okay. Well, I know what you're thinking, that we're never going to finish this book at this pace. And we aren't, so we need to pick it up. All right. And the Lord whom you seek, we're going to keep going here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi is now referencing Jesus here. The second messenger that we see is actually the Lord himself. So we see these two messengers right away at the beginning, but continuing in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. All right, well, in verse 2 there, we see part of Jesus' mission as messenger really is one of cleansing the day of his coming. We get these, this verbiage like refiner's fire, uh, launder's soap. Do you guys remember that old song? Refiner's fire. Uh, I was, me and Greg were singing that earlier. Refiner's fire, launder's soap. We read that he's going to purify the sons of Levi. But it also, again, we read that the day of his coming, this is talking, I believe, about his second coming. And there will be this great cleansing when that happens. But I would just like to mention here that uh, part of being in a relationship with Jesus, there is a cleansing that occurs. Have you guys experienced that before? There's this uh, sort of nitty-gritty washing that happens. And, you know, we don't clean ourselves up, but the Lord does. He purifies. And that idea of refining, 
silver, right? He makes it shine so much, all that dross is taken away until you can see a reflection in it. That's how clean the Lord makes it. That's the cleansing that Jesus does. And we read that he will purify the sons of Levi. Once they are purified, we read then that they, then the offering will be righteous. But that's really in complete contrast to the other offerings that we are reading about, right? The roadkill offerings, remember those? Malachi is saying, look guys, there's coming a day when the offerings are going to be pure, but it's always after Jesus does the cleansing. We're gonna keep going here in verse five. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I do not change. You know, it says there in verse uh, five, against those who exploit wage earners. I just always think of Jesus cleansing the temple, going in there and uh, flipping a few tables. And really that's a part of the cleansing work. I, I believe we see that in the Bible there. For I'm the Lord, I do not change. Man, aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't change? Man, me too, I really am. We call that, uh, the fancy term is the immutability of God. And I really, I thought it was great. One pastor that I was listening to, he put it this way. All change that we see in the world is really for better or for worse. Normally it's for worse. Things start to decay. Um, I mean, look at my hair. You know, originally it was dark and now there's gray coming into it. And it's just decaying. I don't know what happened. Kids. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, why? But yeah, I'm just so grateful that the Lord doesn't change. He's not like us. I'm prone to change. We're, we're prone to get wishy-washy, right? But the Lord doesn't, and uh, he's incapable of change. He cannot be. You know, his nature, it can't be worse. It can't be better. He is always the same. He can't change. Then we read, uh, this is still in verse six, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Man, if God could change, I think they would have been consumed, right? Carry on to verse seven. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. We see here that the people were guilty of going away from the ordinances, which the Lord had set. They were guilty of really moving away from the rules and the boundaries that the Lord had set up. They were really guilty of walking away from the Lord in short. But look at this promise that we receive here at the end of verse seven. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I think this is one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible. Return to me, and I will return to you. And that's our next point there, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord, if you're writing it down. Well, the statement itself, it really implies that we left somehow, that we went away, that we went astray. And remember, he doesn't change. We are the ones who get mixed up, we change, we get off course change your minds, and soon enough you see yourself, you know, maybe you have left the ways of the Lord. But I wanted to say this concerning the subject of returning to the Lord. You know, I've seen it happen a couple different ways, this picture of returning. And sometimes the first way is uh, it's a return. It's sort of like it's been a long time coming, that kind of return, right? There are these big returns, these lengthy ones. And I'm really trying to paint the picture of somebody who maybe was a Christian and they walked away from the Lord for a really long time, right? They just really didn't have much to do with God. Um, and uh, yeah, for a long time, it could be months, years, 
But again, what, this person was once walking with the Lord. Maybe they walked away uh, just pursuing worldly things, whatever, you know, but they're gone. But now, praise the Lord, they have returned, right? A good example would be the prodigal son. You know, we've all heard the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the father gives his son the share of his inheritance. He goes out, and what does he do? He spends it on uh, wine and women. Ends up in the pig pen. God forbid you and I end up in the pig pen. Realizes he's a, man, I, I want to go back home, right? So he comes back home. And then that's a great example of this term because the father sprints out to him, welcomes him back with open arms. And I think those long time coming sort of returns are beautiful. They're so encouraging to our faith because it just continues to prove the love of God and the forgiveness of God. So no matter how far gone you are, uh, no matter how far gone you might think you are even, return. He's there with open arms, return to the Lord. And man, I'm just, I have to say right now too that I'm just so proud to be in a relationship with the God that does that. He offers, hey, anytime, no matter how far away, no matter how far the distance, you can always come back into my open arms, right? And I will say this too, even one step towards God, even taking one Godward step, I believe he is like, chomping at the bit, ready to get back to you, right? One step towards him. Just the most beautiful picture, you know. Recently, we had the NFL draft. Did you guys watch that? I'm trying to catch you here. NFL, National Football League, Professional Football. Anyways, all these teams, they're looking at uh, players, and part of the way they draft them is they want to know how fast the guys are, so they have this thing called the 40-yard dash. It's where you run 40 yards as fast as you can. And some of the, the bigger guys, like the offensive linemen, they can do it in like five or six seconds, you know. It's actually really impressive. Uh, but some of the smaller, faster guys, they can do it in like four seconds. I think the fastest one is like 4.2 seconds. Jeremy would know if Jeremy's here. He's like the stats guy. But 4.2 seconds. But what's my point? Here's my point. To the person, maybe you're on the fence about thinking about coming back to the Lord, right? Maybe you're listening now and you're like, I would like to, but... I'm really, I've really gotten off track, right? We get that way sometimes. But hey, listen, I want to encourage you. I think God will be there sprinting to you in way less than four seconds. I think it's going to be like instantly you're in his embrace, man. Just one, one, I always say if you get, it's like that concept that if you give God an inch, boom, he'll take you all the way. And I love it. I love that. Instantly welcoming us back, amen. The other type of return that I think is important for us um, is the, I call it just the daily return, the every day, because that's really important to even the most faithful Christians, even the most devoted ones. We can sort of get caught up in those daily worries, the daily troubles that Jesus spoke of, just our day-to-day things. And they're, they're not even necessarily bad. It's just normal everyday stuff, you know? I haven't had a backyard since I was a kid in high school, okay? When me and Michaela got married, we were Uh, We lived in like an apartment and we didn't have a backyard. And then when I was in college, you know, I was living in dorms and then I lived in apartments after that. So I really haven't had a backyard for a a long time. But since we've moved to Mountain Home, we actually have a backyard. It's crazy. But I didn't realize how much stuff goes into the backyard. Because the backyard, it not only encapsulates your lawn, but also your garden. And those are separate things. You know, in the section at the store, it says lawn and garden. But those are way separate things because for a lawn... You have to, uh, here, I have a list here of stuff. 
You have to mow it, fertilize it, thatch it, water it, aerate it, trim it, and you do all that just for your dog to poop on it, you know? So there's just a lot of stuff. It's ridiculous. Then for the garden, it's like, do I need to get those planter boxes? I thought we could just hit the side beds with it. Just all this stuff that I get caught up to. And, but, yeah, my point is, man, taking care of your lawn and garden is not bad. I, I think we should actually do it. I think it's awesome. I think it's therapeutic. But things like that, just the daily things, they occupy a lot of our brain space. Have you noticed that? I was going to bed thinking about, like, okay, what do we plant in the garden? Tomatoes or potatoes? Or do we have to plant potatoes because we live in Idaho? So it's just, but it, then it's like, oh, man, I, I just need to. Anyways, the daily return in the morning, you get back and say, that stuff isn't necessarily bad, but it can be t- become a distraction, right? You just get a little occupied with all this stuff that we're doing right now. But I need to make a point to get back just into the presence of the Lord. Read and pray every day. That's, the, that's the, the theme right there. Get into his presence, talk with him, speak with him. Like Pastor Dan was saying, take some time to listen too, right? Just a moment of silence to hear from the Lord. Um, so again, that's a daily return to him. Okay, we're gonna keep going here in verse seven. But you said, in what way shall we return? And then we're gonna pick it up here in verse eight, this next section. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. All right, in verse eight, we read, will a man rob God? And in verse nine, the Lord speaks and says, hey, you guys have robbed me. You guys have done it. You've robbed me. How? Well, the nation was withholding their tithes and offerings from God. It seems really amazing to me that it's even possible to rob God, right? How would you do it, right? Would you break into his house and pick his safe and uh, rob the Lord? No, right? Uh, That's not robbing God. The Lord is saying here that the moment he was robbed was when the people withheld their tithes and offerings uh, from him. And this really brings me to our next point, give to the Lord, give to the Lord. And it's really that simple. Uh, Today, we widely recognize 10% as a tithe because in Genesis chapter 14, that's the amount that Abraham gave to the priest Melchizedek, who is really a type of Christ. And I'm not, I I don't think that's always the the hard and fast rule, the 10% there, because sometimes uh, we're called just to give a different amount. Just depends on what the Lord is putting on your heart. But that 10%, that really set the tone early on for the Israelites because the tithe was God's plan to support the priesthood that he was making. I just, some of the history around this is just really cool. So in Leviticus, we read that the Israelites were supposed to tithe 10% to the priests with no land. So th- these are priests that didn't have any land, right? And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, they had to pay an additional 10% to the priests because they were the priestly tri- tribe. So those guys were up to like 20%. 
But then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, there's another tithe that occurs every three years, and it's actually for the poor. So they take a tithe every three years, and that was another 10%, and that tithe was stored in the cities uh, for the poor. So if you were in the tribe of Levi, you were already tithing 20% of your total income, but that third year, now you're up to 30%, right, on that third year. Not only were there tithes, but there were offerings as well. We read about a lot of those um, that are required by Jewish law in Leviticus. So there were animal offerings, whole offerings, grain and meal offerings, drink offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, and all of those combined could be equal or greater than another 10%. So now we're up to maybe close to 40%. And if you kept the Sabbath, right, you're eliminating a portion of your work year. So you're, you know, being a good Jew and you're keeping the Sabbath. That would, they're saying that you lose about 14.2% of your total income over the course of a year. So now we're getting closer to 50% or more of your income going to the Lord, okay? So with that perspective in mind, uh, I ask myself, how much do I give the Lord? Not only how much, but how do I give it? I think that's really the more important question. Not so much the amount, but how do I give it? I love what John Phillips said. It is difficult to understand how a Christian under grace, that's us, uh, can give less than a Jew who is required to give under the law. Again, it was a requirement for the Jews. And again, I don't think the amount is nearly as important as my attitude when I'm giving it because the Lord says to give cheerfully. And you guys know this verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But verses 6 and 7 say, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Like this, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So my giving, it's not only supposed to be generous, but it's supposed to be cheerful as well. And Okay, let's, let's just pause for a second. Let's zoom out because I know this subject can be weird for people. And I probably should have started with this, but I believe that we believe God owns everything. God is the owner of everything. It's Psalm chapter 34, verse one. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 34, one. It's all God's, okay? Psalm chapter 50, verse uh, 10, we read that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You guys have heard that verse. But with the perspective that the Lord already owns any, everything and anything that I possess is really, uh, it's on loan to me, it's a lot easier to give knowing that I'm just a steward for funds that really aren't mine in the first place. <laughs> Doesn't that clear things up? I think it clears it up for me. It's so much easier to give now that I know, well, Lord, it's, you are just loaning it to me anyways. It's yours anyways, so it just seems circular at this point. So give to the Lord. But the Lord issues a challenge there too. He says, try me in this. Why don't you do your worst? <laughs> Try me in this and see if I won't bless your socks off. See if I won't bless you. And I think the emphasis there too is just to give to the Lord, knowing that there is no way you could outgive him. There's no way you could do it. God is issuing here, I believe, a double dog dare. <laughs> I double dog dare you to try and outgive me. Amen. All right. Verse 13. 
Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. We read there in verse 14, the people had really gotten to this point in their depravity and their walking away from the Lord. Not only were they growing weary of uh, uh, serving the Lord. You guys remember that in Malachi chapter uh, one? Oh, what a weariness. That's what they were saying. Now it's not only a weariness, they're saying it's useless. In fact, you know, it, we're not only are we tired of it, we think it's worth nothing. It's useless. And uh, their attitude had just gotten to that point. They thought serving the Lord was useless. Hey, if that ever happens to you and me, pause, time out, reset, do something, but don't keep going on if you think it's useless if you have that attitude, right? They even compare it to uh, proud, boastful or proud people. Okay, we got to keep going here. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. My next point I have written down here is to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Similar to Levi as the priest, we're reading here in these verses, verses 16 uh, through 18, that there was a remnant of people who actually did fear the Lord. There's this like holy remnant of people And it seems like these people in verse uh, 16, they're enjoying a fellowship with each other. They're speaking to one another. And in turn, we're reading that the Lord listened and he heard them. And I believe that that happens to us too. When we choose to remember the Lord together corporately, like we're doing right now, the same thing happens to us. The Lord tunes in. He's like, oh, what are they doing down there? That's awesome. I love that. When we take the time to get together, just to fellowship, study the word, we read, we pray, we worship. Man, the Lord loves that, and I think he, t- he tunes into it. We read that it just really pleases him, and so that's why we do it. You know, I don't know if you guys have noticed this yet, but um, at Taco Bell, every, everything that they serve is a combination of cheese, beans, meat, and a tortilla. Have you guys noticed that? They, it's just packaged in a different way. They, like, fry it, or they grill it, or, they, or it's raw, whatever. And I love it. Uh, Guilty pleasure. Okay. That's sort of the same thing with us. As the church, I mean, we do the same thing every time we get together. We pray, we worship, we read the word, we fellowship, there's food, there's Bible study. It's the same thing and we love it. It's awesome. It's life to our souls. Same thing, right? Every service that we attend, you know, we call it different things, right? Like Wednesday night is step-by-step. Uh, step. On Fridays, we call it, you know, the man-to-man. What are we really doing? We're doing the same thing. We're reading the word together. We're praying. We're worshiping. So I think that's just how we remember the Lord, man. It's that same beautiful combination, which is why Taco Bell will never fail. Never fail. <laughs> we just name them different things. You know, anyways. 
That's how we remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Okay, we're into chapter four now. Uh, Chapter four, verse one, I'll read it here. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. That day that I've spoken of here, the day of the Lord, uh, it was spoken of by many Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Joel, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Zechariah. Actually, all they talked about this day. They mentioned it. And I think it can be best described as judgment day. And the best description I think we have is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I want to read it to you guys here. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until, here it is, the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And we get another description of this day a couple verses down in 2 Peter, looking at verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heaven oh sorry, of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with, fer- with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it's so interesting to be looking forward to this day, knowing that it's the day the Lord will take vengeance on his enemies. There will be this great cleansing by fire, similar to uh, Noah in the flood that was a cleansing by water. We believe that this one will be a cleansing by fire, but the earth, I don't believe, will be destroyed. Again, it will just look different. New heavens, new earth. And the encouragement we get here from Peter, I think, is to level up in our conduct and godliness. That's what he encourages us up to do. But that happens when we look forward to the Lord. We're anxiously just awaiting his return. The result, the thing that happens within us, I believe, is just godliness continues to go up. Okay, look at verse two now, Malachi chapter four, verse two. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. So that's really a prophecy there. So if you've been gaining any weight, that's biblical. You are fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) It means that you fear God. That's what that means right there. (laughs) No. It's literally all I had written for that. So. Jesus' name, he says, the son of righteousness. That's who we look forward to, amen. We're looking forward to this, the son of righteousness. The one, he says there's healings, there's healing in his wings. He's going to make everything right. That's what I think, right? Now. You know, we look around our world and there's so many people with so much heartbreak, greater heartbreak than I've ever experienced. And they're waiting for things to be remedied. They're waiting for, ah, there's so much injustice. They're saying that same question, where is the God of justice? We look forward to the Lord coming back. We look forward to all this being made right. Verse three, uh, Malachi chapter four, verse three. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him 
in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. All right, there it is, the end of Malachi. Again, that last point that I wanted to mention is that we should look forward to the Lord. Looking forward to the Lord. Jesus is going to make things right. Um, He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to their fathers. There's going to be this cleansing, this restoration, this fulfillment. He's going to come with healing in his wings. That's what we read. Many of you have found that, I know. And we, we read, the very, this is very interesting to me, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The last word of the Old Testament is curse, which is actually kind of freaky. But it, it, this is really interesting to me. So the last word is curse. But the first thing that we read about in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, we get introduced to Jesus And I always think of Jesus, not always, oftentimes, as the curse breaker, the one who's going to make it right, the one who can break your curse. I was talking to Lori this morning. In our families, oftentimes we feel like we get these generational curses. And I know many of you probably can relate to that. There's like this thing passed down. Jesus can break it. Jesus can break that curse, you know. But we look forward to that. Jesus, the curse breaker. And I even thought of the man in Mark chapter 5. You guys know this story. He had a legion of demons within him. Uh, heard recently that 6,000 demons. Man, if there's anybody that was cursed on this earth, I think it's that dude right there. 6,000 demons on the inside of him. He has this encounter with Jesus. And on the back side of his encounter, it says that he was clothed and in his right mind. He was healed. He was made whole again. Ma'am. Apart from the Lord, I just think we're totally hopeless, ma'am. That's why we look forward to him. We're really as bad off as that guy was. We're as cursed as that guy. Cursed as that guy. Another cool part about that word, too, I just think of how Jesus actually became a curse for us, right? Read that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Whoever hangs on a tree is cursed. That's what it says. All right. Well, that's how we're going to close uh, the book of Malachi tonight. And uh, I just thank you again, guys, for reading along. And just thank the Lord, too, for the work. I, I think about him becoming a, a, a curse for us. Uh, really just the gospel that he died on the cross for our sins. There's this gap, this 400-year gap of silence. But I mean, we know how this story ends, which is really cool. And so we're able to look forward to the Lord. Even now, I think about him coming back. And more and more, I'm just looking forward to it, getting a little antsy, you know, Come on, Lord. (laughs) Come on, Lord. Come on back. So we look forward to him. Hey, I just hope that you've been blessed by this study. Hope you've been blessed. And uh, um, yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. Well, hey, let's pray one more time. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you for the way that you, uh, again, you got indirect us, Lord. And we do look forward to your return. Uh, We thank you for the cross, Lord. I was just thinking about remembering you. Thank you for your shed blood, your body broken, Father. Thank you for your spirit, Lord, that you left us with to um, just comfort us too, Lord. And in this interim time, Lord, we eagerly wait for you. We're looking out the window, wondering when you're going to crest the hill, Lord, while we're on this side of heaven. We just, we just keep waiting for you, Father. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you make things right in our lives, that 
you heal, that there's healing in your wings, Lord. There's this beautiful healing that takes place. So again, Lord, we thank you, and uh, we just bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen.